hello everyone and welcome to the next episode of Cozy On Up in NC Cardinal. Each episode is a journey through a cozy mystery theme or author that is available in NC Cardinal Public Libraries. I'm going to open with some chatter on the topic, jump into the books, kind of giving you the 411 on the author, the series, and how many books and formats are available in NC Cardinal, and plus lots of links that will kind of empower you to help keep a check on these series and these authors long after this episode airs in case you're listening to this much later. Feel free to join our Goodreads group or Amazon Book Club to discuss and recommend books to your fellow cozy mystery lovers. We also have a Pinterest board if you'd like to follow along there to be able to click over and grab a digital copy of the handout that I make for the themes um, for the year and links over to the Libby ebooks. So for this month, it, don't know about the rest of y'all, wherever you're listening from, but over here on the East Coast in North Carolina, we have been dealing with a whole swing of it feeling like summer, spring, winter, some days, some nights, and then maybe even going back to winter this coming weekend. Uh, so it's kind of a bit of a roller coaster right now. Lots of rain. So it feels like spring, but then it also doesn't quite feel like spring because we barely finished February. So last year, all the way in April, which is National Garden Month, we did look at the Flower Shop Mystery Series by Kate Collins because it has also been adapted into the Hallmark Movies and Mysteries. Well, we dealt with the page-to-screen element this year by last month looking at Joanne Fluke's Hannah Swenson series, which also has been adapted into a Hallmark Movie and Mystery Series. The gardening topic, though, for this year, we couldn't wait till April because some stuff had to get moved up because we got some really fun topics coming nearer the summer. So the April, May, you know, June, July, August, that period, we got some really, we got some exciting new uh, cozy mysteries to look at, newer series. Also some stuff to do with the, you know, British coronation, um, some really cool kind of uh, British themed cozy mysteries. Uh, so we've got lots of especially if you like Agatha Christie and stuff. We got some read-alikes, some fun things, newer um, mysteries to read that we'll be discussing. But we can't jump into spring without at least having a few books on plants. So we're going to look at some flowers and gardens today and have a couple of recommendations of things that are available in NC Cardinal to read about this topic, especially if that's one of the favorite things you like to read. So given the books I have selected as suggestions for this month, let's take a quick look at some cool facts about wedding flowers, flower industry, and gardening. There's many interesting facts about bridal bouquets. Historically, bridal bouquets were made from herbs and spices, such as garlic, or were worn around the head as a wreath instead of, you know, being held in your hand. This was believed to practice protect the bride and groom from evil spirits. In ancient Greece and Rome, the bride and groom wore a necklace of flowers around their necks, symbolizing new life, luck, and also in ancient Rome, brides would carry bunches of herbs and grains to symbolize prosperity and fertility. In the late 15th century, so the 1400s, herbs and spices began to be replaced with fresh-cut flowers, with roses becoming popular during this late medieval, early modern era. In Spain, branches of citrus trees were presented at weddings, believing to be symbolizing eternal love. In Japan, 
brides carry a fan-shaped bouquet of white and pink flowers, which symbolize purity and innocence. In India, the bride carries a bouquet of marigolds, which symbolize joy and happiness. In the Philippines, brides carry bouquets of sampaguita, also known as Arabian jasmine, a beautiful white flower, which symbolizes faithfulness and loyalty. In some countries, the bride and groom will exchange bouquets as a sign of their commitment to each other. In the Victorian era, brides carried bouquets of flowers to symbolize love and devotion, especially made popular by Queen Victoria in her paintings. In other countries, the bouquet is thrown to the unmarried guests during the reception with the belief that whoever catches it will be the next person to get married. Nowadays, bridal bouquets are usually chosen by the bride according to her taste and overall theme of her wedding, like whether it's winter, summer wedding, the color scheme she prefers. I've even seen some bouquets made out of old jewelry brooches instead of flowers, kind of arranged on a either silk cushion or styrofoam um, mold so that they can be poked around and made to look just like a bouquet, but instead it's pieces of jewelry. So kind of given to this shift to fresh cut flowers for important ceremonies like weddings, but also graduations, birthdays, anniversaries, funerals, how is the floral industry doing right now? Well, the U.S. floral industry, as we have a couple books on that, is worth around $5 billion and employs almost 75,000 people. The global orchid industry alone is worth over $5 million dollars. Or, and in Canada, over $100 million was spent on cut flowers in just 2020 alone. The artificial flower industry is worth $2.5 billion globally. Additionally, the floral industry in the United States is projected to increase, to increase at, onto that uh, $5 billion by another almost $370 million by 2025. So it's expected to grow but it may be in different and new areas. Most flowers are sold on Valentine's Day and Mother's Day, with 21% of flower sales being made in those two weeks leading up to Mother's Day. That must be insane, the amount of work going into that in all those florist shops. Cut flowers are more popular around Valentine's, while potted plants are more popular around Mother's Day. The biggest roses in the world are those that are produced in Ecuador. So sometimes it's thinking about flowers that you may have in a bouquet. They didn't necessarily come from nearby. Some of them may have been shipped in from far away. Well, what if you don't like to buy cut flowers? Because as it mentioned there, potted plants are more popular around Mother's Day. Maybe you like to grow your own potted plant, you know, your own plants, or you get potted plants gifted to you and you want to put them around in your yard. Well, gardening, which is our other Cozy Mystery recommendation for this month, Flowers and plants, if you're going to plant them yourself, have many benefits, both physical and mental. Physically, they help purify the air. Of course, getting out and working in them, you know, kind of getting to see your results, uh, you know, working with your hands, the physical activity will help reduce stress, even helps improve your concentration. Mentally, they can help boost your mood, reduce anxiety, and provide a sense of peace and relaxation. Behind those, you know, kind of customer-facing outlets, uh, plant breeders are tirelessly working continuously to produce innovative new plants that are larger flowers, 
more disease resistant, improved cold, heat, or shade tolerance, longer blooming times, even higher nutrition rates, depending on if they're wanting to be harvested for food. The floral industry saw a surge in growth during the COVID pandemic. So, you know, where some industries suffered, well, floral industry boomed. Online and retail sales flourished, with global online sales increasing 100% from 2019 to 2020. Additionally, the building material and garden retail sector saw a 9% increase in sales revenue. You know, everyone's staying home and deciding they needed to plant some plants and rework their yard and finally get those projects done. And the clothing, of course, and accessories sector saw a 68% increase. Total spending on floral products from 2020 to 2021 grew almost 22%. Sales of U.S. grown uh, floral crops grew 16% from the 2019 to 2021 period, so covering the emergence of COVID and even the period after, hitting the $6 billion mark for the first time. More than a third of what the U.S. grows is in annual bedding plants, followed by perennial plants, potted flowering plants, with about $1 billion in sales each. Cut flowers uh, are about $360 million um, of the market, and then cut greens, so uh, plants, you know, without flowers on them that you need to either as filler, you know, particularly around Christmas is what we would probably all be thinking of where you have uh, all the garlands and the wreaths made for Christmas. Those are cut greens, you know, holly, evergreens. Those are about $100 million. There's been an 8% increase in the number of growers in the market providing these. And that number, though, doesn't increase, doesn't include the increase in flower and plant growers that do less than $100,000 in annual sales. And that's a significant portion of the market. A lot of people who help at farmers markets or sell to, you know, in their cities or near or just inside their counties, those smaller growers, there's been an increase in those as well. And they're an important part of the market. Imports to the U.S. have also increased. There's been a 28% increase um, year to date and a 15% increase in the volume. Market size measured by revenue of florists of the florist industry is 5.9 billion in 2023. That's what ex is expected for this year. So we can see that increase from where it started. However, the market size is expected to decline by 1.5%. What's going to help continue having the floral industry grow is the overall demand from wedding services is expected to increase. This is going to represent a way that florists may continue to support their cut flower and other business without, you know, going under or disappearing and becoming fully online. So we have two books uh, recommend that kind of fit this springtime floral industry theme, uh, especially kind of for those facts. You kind of can see where some of the books will most likely line up. So the first one I would recommend is the, it was published in 2014, book number one in a bridal bouquet shop mystery series. This is by Beverly Allen. So here's what the book's about. As the co-owner of the Rose in Bloom, that's the name of her store, Audrey Bloom creates magnificent flower arrangements for brides-to-be. Though helping to plan a wedding can be stressful, it's nothing compared to the groom turning up dead. 
So a designer of eye-catching bridal bouquets, many of them based on the Victorian meanings behind each flower, Audrey Bloom is used to the celebrations that end with happily ever after. In fact, every couple she's worked with is still together, living in wedded bliss. But her perfect record is about to be broken. Her childhood friend, Jenny Whitney, has reeled in the most eligible bachelor in Ramble, Virginia, and she's hired Audrey to design her bouquet. Before Jenny can walk down the aisle clutching her blend of anemone, uh, sebaceous, and pussy willow, a floral disaster in Audrey's mind, the groom is found dead, sprinkled with bits of a bouquet. This is bad for business. So, of course, you can see why um, Miss Audrey is jumping in. She's helping design flowers for this event, but it's also the dead body has bits of the bouquet on him. So, not good. And, of course, Jenny is her best friend. She is now the prime suspect. So, Audrey decides to do a little digging herself, hoping she won't be the next Ramble resident pushing up daisies. So, I'll post a link about the series. The Bridal Bouquet Shop series is currently under the pen name Beverly Allen, her only series as of the date of this episode. The series has three books, which is the usual for the initial run. They were published 2014 to 2015. Their availability in NC Cardinal is, is good. That's why I'm recommending they're available in regular print and large print. One of the key factors in deciding why I wanted to recommend it, because you can have both formats available. Now, also, if you have, if you're a voracious reader and you have lots of options to choose from, if you have um, Amazon, the audiobook is available on Audible, and there is a Kindle um, ebook if that's what you prefer to read with. It's not on Kindle Unlimited as of the taping of this episode. Our local NWRL system doesn't have the ebook currently in Libyan Overdrive because, you know, our title list changes over every three, six to 12 months, different sets change out. Um, but your local system, depending on when you're listening to this and where you're listening from, very well may have it because the ebook is in Libby. It's just whether your local system has purchased the ebook rights to it currently. So just take a look with your library card and see if you have access to it. The author's name is actually Barbara Early. She wrote this series under the pen name Beverly Allen. Um, she's earned an de engineering degree, but after four years of doing nothing but math, she developed a sudden allergy to the subject <laughs> and decided to choose another occupation. Before she settled on murdering fictional people, I just love how she describes herself. She was a secretary, a school teacher, a pastor's wife, and an amateur puppeteer. After several years living elsewhere, she and her husband moved back to her native Western New York, where she enjoys cooking, crafts, classic movies, and campy 70s television, along with board games and posting pictures of her four cats on Facebook. Under the name Barbara Early, she has also written the Vintage Toy Shop series. She does have posted that she's currently working on and will have new books coming, but she's been a little distracted, as is understandable, with, you know, all the changes that came with COVID, how that just, you know, throws every, threw everything off track. She also has some new grandchildren she's been visiting with, but she is writing and is going to be putting out more new books. She just hasn't done any in the last couple of years, but she did write an update that she's, she's working on it. She's not totally quit. All right, the other recommendation, so maybe if you want to look in the floral industry, you know, the buzz and bump of that, 
If you'd rather, because you're more into gardening and outdoors yourself, the other recommendation I have is Pruning the Dead, published January 2019. It's book number one in a Garden Squad mystery series by Julia Henry. So what is this book about? Well, in post-retirement, aches and pains are not preventing 65-year-old Lily Jane from keeping the most manicured garden in Goosebush, Massachusetts. But as a murder mystery blooms in this sleepy New England town, can a green thumb weed out a killer? So this will be a nice recommendation if any of you particularly are in the retired age and want to get to read kind of and have a character you can relate to. Uh, Lily Jane is 65 years old and she's doing her own garden. With hundreds flocking to her inaugural garden party, meticulous Lily Jane hasn't left a single petal out of place. But the picture-perfect gathering turns unruly upon the arrival of Mary Lee Frank, Lily's ex-husband's caddy third wife. <gasps> Bit of a family drummer there. Mary Lee lives for trouble, so no one is surprised after she drinks a little too much, shows a guest into the koi pond, and then gets escorted off the property. The real surprise comes days later when Mary Lee is found dead in a pile of mulch. Whoa. Lily wishes she could stick to pruning roses and forget all about Mary Lee's murder until her best friend and then her ex become suspects in an overgrown homicide case. Of course, you know, if you're having cat fights out in the open and lots of divorces and remarriages, there's lots of suspects for this inaugural book in this series. Now, Lily is aided by the Garden Squad, an unlikely group of amateur crime solvers with a knack for planting. Lily knows she has limited time to identify the true culprit and restore order in Goosebush, Massachusetts. Because if the murderer's plot isn't nipped in the bud, another victim could be pushing up daisies. <laughs> Clearly, um, writers for describing their book love, especially if it's gardening and flowers, love that phrase, pushing up daisies. All right, I'll post the link to this series. A Garden Squad mystery series is currently Julia Henry's, at least that pen name, her only one she's currently writing under that pen name. It's still actively being added to, which is one of the reasons I wanted to choose it. It's nice to have something that has multiple formats available, but it's also nice to have one that's continuing to be written so that you can keep on requesting more books. She's up to five books right now. She's been writing since 2019. The last, uh, number five, came out in October 2022. So she'll probably have another one sometime this year, unless she gets distracted with another series. Nice part is this also is available in regular print and large print and NC Cardinal Library. So you can request either one. There is also an audiobook um, available. And the book itself is in Kindle Unlimited, unlike with the first book. And our local NWRL system doesn't have the ebook in Libby or Overdrive yet, but your local system might. So take a look before you go off buying it or trying to subscribe to Kindle Unlimited when you won't have to. Links to uh, Julia's actual direct author website will be included. Julia writes that she remembers reading as a child things like Encyclopedia Brown and Nancy Drew. But then as she grew up, she discovered Miss Marple and then that letter to Hercule Poirot. From there, she explored the golden age of mystery writers, loving every minute of that puzzle. She's always loved writing, but about 25 years ago, she decided she wanted to write a book. She took a few writing workshops, had trouble with her stories, though. They were, as she puts it, boring. 
At a break in one of those writing classes, someone asked her why she wasn't writing in the mystery genre. Whenever you talk about your books, you mention Elizabeth George and Elizabeth Peters as kind of like your inspiration and things you love. Why aren't you writing like them? <gasps> Something clicked that day and she dropped, started dropping bodies into her stories and she hasn't looked back since. She's also worked in such jobs at Memorial Hall, which includes the Sanders Theater at Harvard University, where she spent years learning to write while she made her first books while helping with the theater. In 2013, she got her break when she submitted. Um, so it's kind of as a, as a highlight of how some of this comes about. Um, in 2013, she got her break because she started writing a series about a clockmaker in Western Massachusetts. How this came about was the editor at Berkeley had this idea, you know, for the setting, the location, you know, the idea that this is going to be the person's career, you know, put out the call for people's submissions and ideas about how they would approach this topic. She submitted, Miss Julia submitted her proposal for how she would do it. Hers won, and she was given the contract for what became the Clock Shop Mystery Series. As part of the deal, she needed to come up with a pen name. She chose Julianne Holmes for that series. For a brief moment, my mother considered naming me Julianne Holmes Henricus, but my grandmother had convinced her it was too long, so she had become Julie and then Anne, both as separate words. Anyway, that's where her first uh, kind of JH-themed pen name came about. And as another example, I know we have discussed in this podcast in prior 2021 and 2022 episodes, on why, um, you know, why would an author have multiple pseudonyms, especially if you're looking on fantastic fiction? Why does it say pseudonym of so-and-so? And when you click, you see all these series they're written under different names. Why does this happen? Or why does a series suddenly cease to be published when it seemed to be so good? Uh, we only have one, yet again, another example of why that happens. Julia mentioned that Midnight Inc., was a wonderful mid-sized publishing company that was perfect for her next series, the Theater Cop Mystery Series. Unfortunately, though, Midnight Inc. ceased publishing in 2019, and this impacted a lot of cozy mysteries. So she's been working on re-releasing both of the titles that had gotten published under Midnight Inc., so she's got, of course, get the, the rights to those. She wants to re-release them on her own, and she's working on finishing the third book in the series. She's releasing those books under her um, second name, J.H., which is actually her second J.H. name. She's gone with initials this time, J.A. Henricus. Her third J.H. name is Julia Henry, which, of course, she uses for the other series, Garden Squad. So every series she's written, she's gotten a different pen name. Her publishing journey is full of twists and turns, but she says she's going to continue to navigate them. She may have to get another pen name depending on the next contract and next company she may have to work with. She is a member of Sisters in Crime and The Wicked Authors. Both websites are good if you want to dive into finding book recommendations, cozy mysteries, other mysteries, as you know, what's going on, what's new, what are people enjoying. So if you're always looking for recommendations, those are two good websites. She also does a lot of the events uh, related to those websites where they'll mention all these conventions for mystery authors. She also hosts a Sisters in Crime Writers podcast, which kind of allows her to have some great conversations about how to write and writing. So let me know what you think of, think of these books. The nice part is there's a lot of formats available, and some of them, that last one, Garden Squad, is continuing to be written. So lots to work with. 
I hope you enjoy them, and we'll be moving on next month to a couple different topics as we near the British coronation, because we're going to be looking at some of those details and tidbits. Thank you for listening.